Happy versus Flourishing, episode 16. Welcome to the podcast where we give you ideas on how you can improve various aspects of the quality of your life. Today's episode is with Bob Ferguson, who is a former UK world champion speaker in Toastmasters. He's also a professional speaker. He coaches people in in speaking and communication. And the topic is communication, public speaking, confidence. And we touch a lot upon Toastmasters International, which have clubs all over the world, which help people in their communication skills. And we also talk about um, the Professional Speaking Association, in uh, which has got the PSA in the UK. And we touch a little bit upon some of the other types of um, clubs offering help in people's communication as well. So that's this episode with Bob Ferguson. If you do like this episode, please do share it with anyone you think would get some real benefit from it. Why not subscribe to us and leave a review to let other people know what you think about the podcast. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Happiness versus flourishing. My guest today is Bob Ferguson. How are you doing, Bob? Yeah, great. Thanks, Tony. And it's uh, you, you told me you were up bright and early this morning out in the frost. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, not completely out in the frost. I was in my in my garage where I've got my gym, So, but it gets a bit nippy first thing in the morning these days. <laughs> it is uh, winter's firmly <laughs> setting in, isn't it? And, and today, one of the things that we're going to talk about is, well, communication, essentially, I guess, is what we're going to talk about. And a lot of it's going to be around Toastmasters, but we're also going to touch upon some other sort of speaking organizations and professional speaking association and whatever. But you have enormous experience of, well, both Toastmasters and the PSA, don't you? Uh, I do, yeah, for sure. I've been in Toastmasters 25 years this year. And and that's a fantastic organisation, helps you primarily, I would say, improve your communication skills. But there is a track, as there is with uh, both of these organisations, there's an association of speakers clubs that does something very similar. And they both have a leadership track, so they're both geared to help people with their leadership in organisations. But primarily, I would say they're about helping people gain confidence from speaking in public, even if that's down to two or three people at work. Hmm. And what do you remember when when you first? Well, what was it that made you first go to Toastmasters? Yeah, it was a strange, strange story because I knew my public speaking was pants. I detested it. Really, I would do almost anything to avoid uh, speaking in public and giving presentations. But as I grew in my career, my engineering career it was obvious that I was going to have to do it. Mm. And I was a big fan of the personal development tapes, the things that Nightingale Conant used to push out uh, and Mm. probably still do, but now on something more modern than uh, cassette tapes. Mm. And I remember a chap called Brian Tracy on there, who's quite well known in the personal development field, Mm. saying that he'd been to Toastmasters to improve his speaking skills. So somewhere it was at the back of my mind, But then just by happenstance, there was a club in Watford and somebody I was going to have dinner with had been invited there 
but he'd also agreed to come and have dinner with me and he rang me up to say oh no I can't come because I've, I've double booked and I can't let this person down again and I just said because I knew about Toastmasters I just said well why don't you come and have dinner early and we'll both go mm. and, and that's what happened and the rest as they say is history of course I was helped a lot because when I got to this first club the person who ran it was a chap called Frank Furness who's a, a top international speaker now but mm. he was very good so he was very encouraging and supportive mm. and got me off to a great start and what were do you remember what your initial thoughts were when you first went in oh yeah I I, uh, I said I detested public speaking mm. uh, and I can remember going to the gents at least twice before <laughs> the meeting started <laughs> and then between each speech there's a minute while people write down some recommendations for you to help you improve. Mm. And still at the back of my mind was whether that minute was long enough for another visit to the gents. Uh, (laughs) It's really ironic when you look back after all this time Mm. at the nerves and apprehension I had in those days to think, Mm. why did they exist? But I do understand why they exist, but it is an irrational fear and Mm. it's something you can get over with practice. Well, and they, and they say, and I don't know whether this is true, but supposedly people fear public speaking more than they fear death. Yeah, that came from a New York survey, and I can't remember the date of it now, but you're right. Uh, uh, public speaking was the number one fear and death was number three. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I, that, of course, in reality is not true. That's... Mm that's just where people ranked it because public speaking comes out in their mind. But given a clear choice, I'm pretty sure which they choose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, why, do you think, why do you think people are, have so much fear about it? I think we have fear of looking stupid, that we'll get up there and we'll dry out, that we won't be able to speak, things will go wrong, we'll look foolish, uh, we have a lot of information to remember and we might forget it. So we we see all the problems, we see all the things we can go wrong. Some people just don't like everyone staring at them. Mm. And I'm not sure why that is, but but they don't. They don't like mm. to be the centre of attention. I don't know mm. whether that's an introversion or what, but uh, yeah, for sure, people don't like standing up and speaking. Mm. But the thing that gets you over it, which is where Toastmasters score so highly... Mm is doing it yeah. you know you can you can have all the strategies in the world people can teach you how to think how to think about the audience how to structure what you're doing things that will make it easier for you to stand up and present yeah but when you go to a speakers club and you stand up and present the first time you'll feel just as apprehensive as you always did as i did on that very first occasion mm. but after you've done it once you'll think well that perhaps wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, but then you'll get another opportunity within a couple of weeks to do it again. Hmm. And the second time, it seems even less worrying. Hmm. And very quickly, as you repeat standing up and speaking in front of an audience, you'll find that it's not that bad at all. And then once that's happened, once you've got over those initial nerves, then you can start to focus on all the things that make excellent speakers, how they structure their content, their body language, using visual aids well. 
there's a whole plethora of things to think about that will mm. make you a better presenter and speaker, mm. but none of those will really kick in until you start to feel comfortable in front of the audience. Mm. Uh, and that's what doing it does for you. The more mm. you do it, the more comfortable you feel, then you're able to work on the polish that will make you a great speaker. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things I noticed, I mean, I'm nowhere near as long as you. I, I was a member for about eight years or so. Yeah. But I, I remember quite a few times seeing people join and, and then say a year later or six months later, whatever it might be, you could, you, it was easy to see the huge progress they'd made. Yeah. But so often they were, weren't aware of how much progress they made and they thought they were still, they hadn't really advanced much. I mean, that wasn't always the case. There was, there was sometimes people who, it was obvious they, they'd advanced a lot. But there was some people just, it's, I guess it's just very hard to see yourself and how you are progressing. And you think, well, everyone else is progressing so much and I haven't. But that's not the case though, is it? No. And um, one of the, the best bits of advice I can give is record everything. Mm. So I have a digital voice recorder, a, a small Olympus one that I slide in my pocket with a lapel mic. But nowadays they're available free. Voice recorders are on your phone if you put your phone down when you speak. And if you record everything you do, mm. you're, you're right. People do ignore the progress they've made because some of the thinking that they were doing at the beginning is still there in the back of their mind. Mm. However, if you go back and listen to your first speeches and then listen to your last speeches, mm. you'll see immediately how much you've progressed and how much more in command you are, mm. how effortless the content is coming out. Yeah. So that, that's a really helpful way to do that. So what do you, when you're, um, I mean, you've obviously seen, uh, well, hundreds of people join the different Toastmasters clubs that you've been a member of. And so I guess that most people, when they first come, their biggest, um, maybe the, the thing they've really, um, is confidence, is, is a thing that they're really struggling with. What, um, ha, what do you think is the best approach for people when they first go along, maybe? I think that there are a whole series of roles that happen within a Toastmasters meeting. Mm. So, yes, there are speakers, the people who are doing prepared speeches and standing up and delivering, mm -hmm. but also there's some much shorter ones. So there's some roles as timekeeper, for instance, mm -hmm. where you just have to stand up and read out the times of the people who have been speaking because everything gets timed in Toastmasters. Mm -hmm. One of the really important disciplines as a professional speaker, but as any form of speaker, is to stick to time. And so we're always recording how long people have taken against their objectives and mm -hmm. feeding that back. And that's a really simple job for people to do, to stand up and just give out the list of times and then sit down. So there are some gentle jobs you can do, if you like, just to get that exposure of standing up, speaking in front of the audience and sitting down in a fairly easy way. Mm. There are some... Short speeches, but the short speeches are probably not any easier than the longer speeches that are prepared because those are the table topics. Mm. And that's where somebody gives you a subject and you have to stand up straight away and talk for one to two minutes on that subject. Mm. But again, it's just an experience. Once you've done it for a while, mm. your brain starts to organize your thoughts when you hear the subject 
and then you're able to talk. And, and these are great skills for people in the workplace because mm. that's the sort of skill you would use if you're in a meeting and somebody suddenly puts you on the spot and says, so what's your opinion on this? Mm. And, and being able to think of a coherent answer that's well-structured and has a balance of answers in it is a mm. powerful skill. So, so they can build up to doing their first prepared speech. Their first prepared speech is shorter. It tends to be four to six minutes, whereas all the others are five to seven minutes. Mm. And I think probably the other thing that helps people is that the atmosphere in the club is incredibly supportive. Mm. So that although everyone gets feedback, and it should be a well-structured feedback so that it gives them tips to improve and move forward it's a supportive level of feedback mm. so that there's no criticism in there there's no what you've done wrong it's how about trying this in the future that will help you so you're getting positive tips all the time and I mm. think that supportive atmosphere and certainly when we were having physical meetings because of course now we're in the world of zoom more than anything but when mm. we were having physical meetings if you were an evaluator of somebody doing their first speech, which was called the icebreaker, mm. you would speak to them beforehand and say, look, just get started, just do what you can, and then we'll pick through what you've done and pick the obvious areas for you to start polishing. Mm. So that atmosphere really helps. I think when, when the first Toastmasters meeting I went to, I can remember it clearly, it was in a club in, in Athenians in, in Hammersmith. And when I walked in and I was, I was astounded by the, the level of um, speaking of so many people there. But I think the thing that really hit me was you were just talking about the feedback. And when I first heard feedback, and in, in, in the Toastmasters world, it's called, you know, your, each speech is evaluated by, yeah. by someone called an evaluator. And I remember when I heard the, the level of evaluation, but it wasn't just simply that they were giving the speaker recommendations, suggestions, and how they could improve. But also they were, were telling them, you know, you were really good at this, and this is something that I really loved about your speech. It, it was also because sometimes we don't realize what we're doing well. Yeah. And by having that guy saying, that was superb what you did there, and then maybe have you thought about doing this, it was that combination of those things were i really really thought that was so good and that was one of the things that made me think yeah i definitely need to join yeah no uh, the evaluation is is critical and, and of course the evaluation doesn't just benefit the speaker mm. because the evaluation speech is to the whole audience so whilst you're saying to a speaker yes you did this really well you're also saying to the audience if this isn't one of your strengths, this is a good technique for improving your skill. Mm. So the whole audience should benefit from a good evaluation, not just the speaker. And of course, mm. the person who also benefits is the evaluator. Yeah. Because giving good quality evaluation makes you think and understand about your communication well. Mm. And that means that your own speaking is bound to improve. Yeah. And I think a lot of people join initially because well probably confidence is one of the main factors but also i think a number of people come simply because they want to improve their speaking maybe for a wedding speech or to do you know meetings at work or whatever it might be yeah but often the case is that 
they don't well, they, they, they don't realise it's not just simply their public speaking that they improve, but it's their all round communication, which is so much more than just public speaking. Yeah, that uh, that's quite important, really. Your speaking in front of an audience will allow you to put your thoughts together far more coherently and structured, and that works with any size of audience. So one of the things you'll find is that when you're talking one-to-one with somebody, that your answers, your points are that much more coherent and structured Mm. and making it easy for people to take on board. And the other thing that happens is it starts to invade your written communication Mm. skills as well because I can remember writing a letter to somebody who'd actually left the club he was a a great contributor and he decided to retire Mm. uh, which I was very sad but I understood his reasons and I wrote Mm. him a letter uh, just like you said to highlight what he'd done the contribution he'd made to the club Mm. and normally I sort of sanity get the sanity read by my wife because she's got an independent view. Mm. And when she looked at it, she said, yes, yeah, she said, it actually looks like a speech with dear Derek at the top. <laughs> and, and it had the same structure that I'd use for a speech to put together something I'd put together in the letter. So all these skills are interconnected. And in mm. fact, for speaking, I study a lot of writing, a good Good writers, people like Malcolm Gladwell, you know, on the Masterclass series, mm. uh, the the whole series of writers writing for fiction, because mm. it helps add elements to your speaking. The more you learn from other people, the more mm. you think about your own speaking. Mm. And I remember actually when when I first joined Toastmasters, my daughter was only um, she was about about a year old or so, and. And obviously, with young children, you you know, there's, they they want the story read every night, and the difference it made in my storytelling storytelling ability was immense. And I was able to um, to really get her excited with some of the stories I was telling because I was just su- such a better storyteller from the whole process of, of going through Toastmasters. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things that you learn when you're speaking is that dialogue is a very powerful mechanism for putting over points mm. so rather than everything being in a narrative he said he said she said i said etc putting mm. in characterization and a voice and making that dialogue really works adds impact for your speaking mm. and when you read to children that's exactly what they need that mm. dialogue and the characterization so uh, and it works well people think that it's a bit amateur dramatics when you do mm. it in a speech and for sure it can be people can go over the top but it does add a level of interest and now that we're on zoom rather than in the physical meetings what mm. you really need is variety to keep people engaged and and vocal variety is one of the few tools you've got left because your body language is minimized generally by the fact that you're only on a screen Mm. but minimized again because quite often you'll be in one of those little boxes that you get on Mm. zoom yeah yeah. and your vocal variety is the one tool that you've got that will give you great impact when you're speaking Mm. 
you mentioned before about another benefit from um, going to somewhere like Toastmasters is leadership. So do you want to tell, tell people more about that? Yeah, within uh, all the speakers clubs, but Toastmasters especially, they've got an integrated program of leadership and it's very useful for young people particularly who come into the Toastmasters organisation because they're caught in this trap at work. They don't get promotion to be a leader, even a first-line manager, their first step on the rung, and they Mm. can't make it because they've got no experience. Mm. And they can't get experience because they can't get the promotion. So they get caught in this cyclical trap that prevents them moving forward in their career. Within Toastmasters, the whole organization is self-run. It has guidelines from world headquarters in America, But every club is independent and run by the members. So you have a number of roles in there. You will have a president. You'll have somebody in charge of membership, someone in charge of the education program, someone in charge of the PR. And allowing people to take responsibility for those areas allows them to develop leadership skills within the Toastmasters organization. And then at least when the opportunity comes at work, they will be able to say, well, I'm not without experience. I've run this in a Toastmasters club and this, and and they can show their experience. But in my opinion, more likely what happens is as they learn the leadership skills within the Toastmasters organization, they start to exhibit those in the workplace, and then they'll stand out as perhaps a more natural choice for promotion because Mm. they're already exhibiting the skills that people want. Mm. Oh, and, and on, on that subject then, because you mentioned when you first joined in, uh, being an engineer and you needed to, to speak much. So how did it help you in, in your uh, business? In my engineering business, you mean, or, or in my business in total? Well, both. both. Oh, right, so, okay. All the in- engineering work. Well, I, I've, I've had, uh, in my life, I've had two fantastic careers and planned neither, actually. They've, <laughs> they've evolved. Yeah. And I, I got into engineering purely by happenstance when I was very young and it just grew and it is a fantastic career and the last 20 years I spent in the space industry uh, largely working on programs that are going to Mercury once on its way to Mercury now and the next ExoMars rover uh, both European programs so I had a really interesting technical career Mm. but I found that by being able to structure and deliver my information concisely and clearly Mm. that people would listen to you more readily. Mm. And I I sort of remember the day that it happened when I walked into the meeting and I was sat at the back and people were talking and they were arguing. And suddenly I made my point and everyone in the room stopped and turned and looked at me. Mm. And later on it became a source of some angst uh, in a jocular way, I think, with a fellow uh, colleague who said, why is it that when you speak, everyone stops and listens, and when I speak, they just carry on? (laughs) So I think the confidence you get is boosted by learning to speak, but the way you speak, the way you craft your sentences and think about what you're going to say before you say it, and when it comes out, it's clear and everyone gets the point, has mm. a big impact on your career. And it certainly had on my engineering career. It means you tend to end up with more responsibility naturally because you come over as a person who can take the responsibility. Mm. But, but then 
as a byproduct of that, uh, because mm -hmm. I was involved in the competitions in Toastmasters uh, successfully, people mm -hmm. would come to me for advice. And in the workplace, there were different sorts of advice. A lot of the time, it was engineers trying to pitch for funding for R&D, that sort of thing, and they were pretty woeful at it. They mm. would try to deluge the board with PowerPoint and facts. But it went to uh, events such as people leaving, leaving dues, this farewell speech for somebody leaving the company. And I think when you've got somebody who's given... Often in engineering, people stay a long time uh, and people might be leaving with 40 years of effort in the organization. The one thing you have to do in your farewell speech is make them feel good. You have to make them feel that that work was uh, valuable and mm. that people have enjoyed working with them. And along the way, there's been some really good times and always an opportunity to poke a little bit of fun at some of the things they've done. Mm. And it makes the event go so much better than that dry uh, biography that is often read out. And then it's, mm -hmm. uh, thanks very much, goodbye. Mm. So, yeah, there was a wide range within the organisation, but then outside the organisation, I got to helping people with their speaking in public, and that side grew and grew again, as I said, unplanned. Mm. But after I'd finished the work on the Mars rover, I thought, well, I really enjoy the speaking side. I want to do it full time. And if I don't do it now, I never will. So I launched mm. out into my own coaching career. Mm. Uh, and again, that's grown because it started off focused very much on the speaking side. Mm. But now I spend probably equal amounts of time talking to people about the communication within their organization because sometimes it's the culture that's at fault more mm. than just the individuals mm. so typically what kind of people are coming to you for for help for your coaching on a one-to-one -one basis that would be people who have to make important presentations they're generally senior people Mm -hmm. But in terms of organizations, a lot of my clients are technical organizations, big technical organizations, and they have these very bright people who are down at the bottom of the organization. So they've got stacks of ideas mm -hmm. and they've got a lot to offer in the valuable information they've got. But the people at the top don't get to hear about it and don't get to understand what the risks are. And so there's this disconnect between the top and the bottom of the organization mm. so in communication skills i spend a lot of my time sorting out systems that will enable people at the bottom to communicate their ideas up to the mm. top and help the people at the top to understand the implications of the decisions they're making mm. and so you've been doing when, when did that start did you say uh 2016 that started full-time Right. And so is that something that you, because you see, so you're not doing the, the engineering stuff anymore then? No. Right. And how, do you enjoy doing the coaching? Oh, yes. I love doing the coaching. I, I find that dealing with organizations is generally a bigger challenge mm. because there are so many aspects to the communication within a, a complex organization. And especially when you've got technical experts there, each mm. with their speciality. Uh, but the one-to-one -one coaching is very rewarding because you get to see people achieve results after you've finished that they didn't think they were capable of when they came to you. Mm. Uh, and quite a bit of that is in crafting their material. Yeah. Once the material is right, 
then people can stand up and deliver it with confidence. And it can make such a difference with a, a well-structured speech. I remember you when you helped me with one of my talks and the way you've got a great way of breaking it down to make it much easier for people. Yeah. I think if people write a speech in its entirety, which has a value because you can edit it, but the trouble is they try to remember all that information. Mm. And if you do that, then you construct in your mind a solid chain of text. And the problem comes, if you forget what you're going to say, you break the chain of text and it's very hard to pick it up again. Mm. So they they end up floundering. It's far better that once you've got the full text of your speech to start breaking it down into key paragraphs with just a phrase against each so Mm. that you know what you're going to say. And I think people, speakers, have to remember if what comes out of your mouth isn't what you've planned, you're Mm -hmm. the only one in the room who knows that. Yeah. Everyone else is just listening to what you say. You're the Mm. only one who knows that you've drifted from what you originally planned. And if you don't tell them, then they'll Mm. never know. So you have to allow yourself license to be a little bit creative when you're speaking. Think about the key point that you want to make in any particular block of information and Mm. make that. And you'll find that if you've practiced enough, it will come out reasonably the same and and close enough for sure. Mm. I mean, a few minutes ago, you mentioned about competitions and how you've done so well in competitions. And I mean, that's that's an understatement because you've actually represented the UK a couple of times in, in uh, Toastmasters competition. So do you want to tell, for anyone listening who's got no familiar, familiarity with Toastmasters at all, about the competitions? Yeah, the, the competitions are, in my opinion, the greatest accelerator of your competence as a speaker. Mm because they put pressure on in a completely different way. Mm. If you start and you go through the program, you'll find after perhaps six months, you're feeling reasonably comfortable in front of an audience. Perhaps given another six months, your structure will be reasonable. It won't be as good as it could be, but it will be reasonable. So that means within a year, you'll think, well, I can stand here, I can deliver a decent speech, and that's all right. Hmm. And the problem is, if you stop there, which, as you mentioned earlier, quite a lot of people do stop there because Hmm. they think that's the end of the path. But they have an awful lot more to give. But the problem is, if you can write a decent speech and deliver a decent speech, there's no pressure on you to do anything different. Hmm. And so people will turn up, deliver the speech they can, and, and go home. You don't do that in a competition. In a competition, nobody wants to lose. And yeah. so the effort you put in is that much greater. Mm. And I guess you learn from the competitions, you learn more from losing than you do from winning. Mm. We generally learn very little from winning. It's it's great. Winning is absolutely fantastic. Mm. But uh, you don't learn a huge amount. But when you don't win... You go Mm. back to the drawing board and you think, why was this speech better than mine? Mm. And so it adds another level of intensity and um, exploring Mm. what you're going to say the next time you're in the competition. Mm. And uh, for sure, there is is some decent pressure, particularly if you get into a UK and Ireland final. Mm. 
and there's eight of you there and only one of you is coming away with the championship mm. and as you said the it, the international speech contest after it's finished in the UK goes to America for the finals of the world public speaking championship mm. uh, and that adds another level of pressure but I think what you get out of it is that when you deliver a really good speech especially if you win mm. and you look back or listen back to it then you realize just how good you can be if you put in all the effort. Now, it it might be true that you don't want to put in that amount of effort every time you speak, but Mm. just knowing that you can be that good if it's necessary is really valuable. And I mean, there's four different contests and you get different things from each contest. So do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, sure. So the, the four contests are the international speech contest and that tends to be a more motivational style of speaking Mm. it goes to the uk and ireland final then it goes to america and the winner of the two rounds in america becomes the world champion of public speaking Mm. but there are three other disciplines as well i talked earlier about table topics Mm. and that's the art of impromptu speaking again very powerful in a workplace if you get put on the spot Mm. so that's a valuable one to do Uh, the humor speech contest adding humor is a wonderful thing to be able to do in speaking if Mm. you listen to professional speakers most of them will tell you that they put their most important points on the back of a laugh Mm. because it highlights the contrast that you get between the laugh and something serious you're going to say but also Mm. when the audience are laughing then their attention is with you their minds are open they're receptive and that's the time to hit them with Mm. a really serious point because it will drive home and in fact I I probably as I went through the contests I probably spent longer studying humor than anything else because it is so valuable to be able to add humor into your speeches in Mm. fact i think i'm one of very few speakers to win both the international and the humorous it's Mm. a rare combination Mm. but it is powerful if you can get it and the last Mm. one we talked earlier about evaluators evaluation giving feedback and the fourth championship is the evaluation speech So you get one test speaker stands up and speak Mm. and then all the evaluators get up one at a time. They don't get up actually, they're not in the room. After Mm. the evaluation, after the test speech, they're all taken out so Mm. they can't hear one another and adjust theirs and then they're brought back in the room one at a time and Mm. all of them evaluate the same speech so you've got something consistent to measure them against. Yeah. Um, you talked there about the um, the person who you know, the international speech contest, and then the person who wins that, be it whether it's in America or wherever the contest is held, is then deemed the, the world championship, world yeah. champion. And I remember um, Darren Lacroix, who's a former world champion, and he came to the UK. I don't know, it was about five or six years ago or something, uh, to do a seminar and a workshop and, and stuff. And and I went along. And at the time, I think I'd only been a member for a few months. So actually, it's probably about eight years ago. And I remember one of the things that really has stayed in my mind from from his talk was he said that he, when he joined Toastmasters, initially, he just joined his local club. 
and he got a lot out a lot out of it. But one thing that he found was that he would work really hard on creating a new speech, and he he'd be working really hard on the wording and how he was going to deliver it and trying to remember it. And then he'd actually deliver it at the club, and he'd get superb feedback from both the individual evaluator who evaluated that speech and then from everyone else in the club who gave him tips and suggestions and so on. And then he would throw that speech away and then start a new speech. And he said he realized that if instead of doing it like that, which is how most people approach it, if he joined a few clubs, he he ended up joining six clubs he said, then if I took that first speech and then all that great evaluation I got, and then I went to deliver that same speech at the second club, but I then in, implemented all of that great, um, those great tips that I received from everyone at the first club. So it was now a much better speech than the first time I delivered it. And then I get evaluated again at the second club. And then I repeat that process, the third club, the fourth club. And he'd say so he essentially, every speech he wrote, he would deliver six times and the difference in the speech from the first time to the sixth time was just like tremendous. And he said that was one of the reasons how he became um, the world champion because he just went through that process with every speech he did. And I thought, well, that makes so much sense. And I ended up joining four clubs and was doing the same thing and I found the same. It improved my the speeches hugely just by, by doing that. Yeah. So that that is true for certain and that's what professional speakers will do professional speakers tend to have one main speech and it's slightly customized for each different audience but Mm. they're using the same speech all the time Mm. firstly when you write a speech you should never throw away the material i have an archive of all my speeches going back 18 years now And I keep that, I've got the audio tapes, so I've got an audio recording at least. Occasionally I get a video recording of it, but they're always an audio recording, plus Mm. the notes that I used at the time, plus the research I did, because if you get asked to do the same speech again, which sometimes happens, you'll find people hear you and say, would you come and do that for my organization? Mm. Then you can go back into your notes to help you customize it for another another speech. Mm. But there are two sorts of speakers in the world really well there's a spectrum but there's two ends to the spectrum one end is the professional speaking style yeah and at the professional end what you tend to have is very few speeches but you go to lots of different audiences and try them out which is the model darren was using when he built up his skills and that's absolutely great and it it does develop you're speaking well but Mm. at the other end you've got the people I call the business speakers and Mm. the business speakers will often have to present to the same audience Mm. so you cannot use the same material all the time yeah and you have to learn to be able to structure things and think about the audience to work out what to say every time to the same audience and that's what happens in the club. That's why people write their speeches in the club, because they're stuck with the same audience. And you can see that if you look at a stand-up comedian, stand-up mm. comedian will write a set, a new set, and then they'll have something like a 50-event tour. Mm. And when they start off, it will be quite clunky. 
Mm. And as they learn what the audience likes, then they'll polish it. And about two thirds of the way through, then they'll video it. And that Mm. will be the DVD they put out at Christmas. But Mm. by the time they get to the end, it's all well founded and polished. And that's great if you've got lots of different audiences. But Mm. if you've got the same audience all the time, Mm. you can't use that approach. Yeah. Well, and that brings us into the PSA as well, the Professional Speaking Association. Yeah. Because it seems to me there's a a lot of misunderstanding in the speaking world about the difference between them. And some people think the two organisations, Toastmasters and the PSA, are in competition with each other. But but they're they're not at all because they have very different um, ways of helping people. So what would you say are the differences between them? Fundamentally, Toastmasters is about improving your speaking skill. If you don't like speaking in public, you want to learn to structure your speeches well, then Toastmasters is the organization to start with. The Professional Speaking Association, as the name suggests, it's about people who earn their career through some form of speaking. And that can be quite broad. That could be, they could be a trainer, they could be a keynote speaker, but there are very few people who earn all their income just from keynote speaking. Mm. But they could be a platform speaker, they could be an industry speaker, they could use speaking without getting great financial rewards, but as a marketing technique. Mm. And that, that's a very powerful thing to do in uh, networking events. When people go out to networking events, they get the opportunity to stand up in front of an audience and speak. And if you do that well, then you attract potential clients into Mm. the first stage, which is to have a coffee and find out a bit more about your business. Mm. So the PSA, as it's called the Professional Speaking Association, is very focused on people whose career hinges around some aspect of speaking in public. Mm. And the two are very complementary. I've I've stayed in Toastmasters for 25 years, and I've done that because there are – a number of big benefits uh, for me as much Mm. as there are for others. Mm. I still find there's always something to learn. You Mm. never know it all that you'll see somebody come up with a new technique. So there are always things to learn. Mm. Uh, But also when I started off, I mentioned Frank Furness, who's a top international speaker, Philip Campani, who got to number two in the world. Uh, There are a lot of great speakers there and they all helped me in my development. So I feel a sense of duty in the organization to help the new people coming through to Mm. put back into the organization. That's the way it grows. But also because I teach people always to write their speeches and presentation in blocks, Mm. Toastmasters is the perfect place to go and try a block. So I can still use it as a sounding board. The first time I've written something, I can try it in front of a live audience, see how they respond. Am I getting the reaction I want? What would I change? What would I improve? And this is long before it ever gets in front of a paying audience. Mm. So it allows you to develop bit by bit a much longer speech, which might typically be 40 minutes, say. But you could break it up and do it in four or five sections. Hmm. So, so what then do people get from? So that, that's what people get from Toastmasters. So, what about from the PSA? Uh, the PSA. Firstly, you get people with an enormous amount of experience within the PSA. You'll find that there are people who have been in the speaking industry 
for 20, some of them longer years. Mm. And so they've seen most of these phases that happen when speaking goes slack as it is now, obviously, because you, you've not got many physical events. Mm. Uh, the whole system is having to change. People are having to get good at virtual presentation. There's a, people with a lot of experience in that. They share the experience. So it's like mm. a family. If you come in and you're inexperienced, you'll find there's a lot of people there who will help you and show you what they did on the way up, what to focus on first, because I can tell you, if you become a professional, then you see all these plates that need spinning at the same time. What do I do with my publicity? How do I structure my speech? How do I get in touch with the people who are going to give me work? And, and all these things that you need to know. Mm. But there are people who've been through the same process who will guide you and say, well, look, until you get this right, there's no point in worrying about this. So start here, work mm. your way through. And it is a very supportive organization. They're very good. We have meetings once a month. We get speakers who come in and talk about their experience in the speaking industry, will answer questions, uh, and we'll generally chat about what each other's business are doing because someone will always have a bright idea. Oh, yeah, I did that. Why don't you try this? Hmm. Uh, so it's a wonderful organization for sharing experience and support. And by and large, I would say, if you've got a problem in your speaking industry, you, uh, speaking business, you can always find somebody who knows how to solve that problem within the PSA. And you'll get none of that within the Toastmasters organization. Hmm. And something else I love about the PSA is before I think before I ever went to a PSA meeting, I think I had some vague idea that there was one way of going about being a professional speaker. Yeah. But being attending so many different PSA meetings, you see so many different approaches to being a professional speaker. There is just like there's almost a thousand different ways of doing it. There's no one way of doing it. No. And you have to do what's right for you and your clients. I think probably the earliest thing that you're encouraged to do is to sort out who your ideal clients are. Mm. And when you know your ideal clients and how they work and how they need approaching, what support they need, then your model of the speaking business starts to come out. Mm. But even if you've got a different way of doing it, you'll find within that different way there are elements of commonality with other people's mm. models so they can still share even if their model is different to you there are bits they can still share that will mm. help you on your route and if you know if if you want to write a book and that's quite commonly put forward as a, a good move within professional speaking to write a book mm. you might be thinking well how do I go about it how do I get it edited what's the best platform to use to publish it mm. and there are people in there firstly there are people who will help you publish your books. There are publishers within the organization, but mm. there are people who have produced their books and know all these pitfalls that can help you with them. Mm. What, I mean, in the, um, we've been talking about the, you know, the Toastmasters and PSA, and for people who are now are listening and thinking, well, this sounds interesting, I might want to take this a bit further. So for Toastmasters, there's, there's clubs all over the country. I mean, there's, I don't there's know, do, do you know how many? clubs all over the there? world. Yeah. Do you know how many clubs there are? Uh, I did did see it. Uh, 325,000 worldwide. Right. And, and in the UK, almost, I would say wherever you live, and well, probably every country, not just the UK, but certainly in the UK, 
wherever you live, there's probably a club within half an hour of you, I would have thought. I, I would have thought so. The easiest thing is to go onto the Toastmasters website, which is www.toastmasters.org. Mm. And if you have a look on there, you'll find clubs listed. There's a, a, a page called Find a Club. And then mm. you put in your location and it will come up with all the clubs around you on a little map. So uh, mm. it's very easy to find out which clubs are around you. And, and also, you, you want more than one club around you because all the clubs will meet on the same nights of each month. Well, that mm. might, night might not be convenient for you, so it might be better to travel a little bit further to go to a club that meets on a convenient night for you. Mm. Yeah, because there's clubs on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, almost you know, yeah. whatever night is convenient for you. Yeah, and, and something I used to tell people when who when I was at some of the clubs that I was at, I would often tell people, don't join the first club that you go to. Look at three different clubs and see which one, which personality, because every club's got a different personality, mm. and which one you just feel most comfortable at. Yeah, uh, and I think even though they all follow the same plan, they have slightly different focus. Uh, on what they do and of course the focus has changed now because one of the things that we're very actively doing is changing the whole structure of our meeting to sit in with zoom because you can't do on zoom what we used to do on a physical meeting Uh, the audience will disengage because that's the nature of the beast so we've had to find a way to restructure our meetings to make sure that people are engaged and involved right the way through the meeting and for anyone who is forced because of work to spend hours on Zoom meetings, this is a great place to come to learn how to do it so that you can engage people on a regular basis. Mm, yeah, and, and yeah, there's a lot of people who, whose presentations on Zoom leave a lot to be desired, to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. In so many different ways, and apart from anything else. One of the things is the 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 way that people use slides, yeah, and having tons of text on every slide. Yeah, slide, slide use often tends to be poor. PowerPoint is a poor primary communicator, and really, it's best kept for diagrams and pictures, things that you want to show. If you're putting text on your slides and you're talking, then that's not generally a good combination. Mm. So it leads, I think, to what's called cognitive overload, that Mm. because people are trying to follow the slides and your talk at two different paces, it Mm. just overloads the brain and generally they give up. Mm. And they start thinking about what's for dinner. or Exactly, yeah. 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 And and we we mentioned just then about how there's Toastmasters clubs all around the world. And the same for, well, in the UK, there's PSA branches or regions or you know in many all around the uk but in the same thing there's you know for people who are listening to this in the states there's the the equivalent is the nsa and then there's equivalent organizations in every country as well isn't that yeah that's right uh, it is there is an international federation of speakers uh, i'm not sure if that's the correct title but it's it's something very similar and that's spread worldwide because there are ones in south africa uh, America, all, all the countries. Uh, Canada's got a very big one that's called CAPS. Um, and if you if you go to a certain country, if you type in their speakers association, they'll connect you with organisations in that country. Mm. And it's somewhere if you're 
maybe for some people listening who are maybe already say Toastmasters and have been for a few years yeah. and they've really improved their communication and their, their speaking skills and they are thinking, I wonder if I could make a, some money from this in, in, in some capacity. It, by going to somewhere like the PSA, you, as, you, as you mentioned before, you just get so many people lend out a hand to, to help new people who come along to PSA meetings. It's a great way of finding out if maybe you can earn some money from it. Yeah. Uh, the, the size of the pyramid in speaking are fairly steep. So people shouldn't be sucked in by the money that they see top celebrities and speakers make mm. because the those top, certainly the speakers, if they're not celebrities, if they're celebrities, they get attracted to that fairly naturally because many people want to hear their story. Mm. But if you're not a celebrity, the audience needs a good reason to come and listen to you and the organisers need a good reason to pay you. Mm. And until you've established that, you're unlikely to be very successful as a professional speaker. Mm. I think the best thing you get out of the professional speaking association is rather than being pointed to where you can make money, they are the people who will help you improve your talk so that it becomes marketable. Mm. And, and once your speaking model, your speaker business model, is profitable, then you'll start to make money. But until then, it's a, a lot of hard work and... People think that if they're a confident speaker, just standing up and speaking will do it. But there's a lot of work goes into professional speaking, particularly now again uh, in the digital age that we're having to speak. People speak on Zoom, on Team, uh, Microsoft Teams, on um, Cisco, the WebEx system. Mm. There's all these systems springing up and every organization will want you to speak on their system or their platform and you've got to be familiar with that. You've got to know how to work with the system and how to be able to show and share your screen and pull in and out of that quite fluently. And they'll still expect the same quality that they would have got if you were on the stage and all that was being done by a big tech group behind the screen. Mm. So, you know, I wouldn't like people to think, oh, yes, speakers earn good money. The pe speakers who earn good money earn good money because they're good, that your first mm -hmm. stage is to be good and to be marketable, and mm -hmm. then you can start to think about whether this is a career for you. Mm. Just, um, I mean, we're coming towards the end. Um, on the, I just was thinking of the actual word or phrase, Toastmasters. Mm. Do, you, do you know the, the origin of the phrase? It's an American title. The Toastmaster mm. was the person who stood up after the dinner gave a speech and then made a toast. Mm. But of course, in this country, we more regularly associate Toastmasters with the red-coated Master of Ceremonies mm. who preside over events. Mm. And in this country, ever since I started 25 years ago, there's been this argument, should we stay with Toastmasters as a name or should we change it for the UK? But mm. the reality is that Toastmasters International is a global brand and we stick with it because once people understand what it stands for and what it can deliver and they mm. go to the Toastmasters International website, mm. then they understand it all and there's no further explanation necessary. And then you get mm. the benefit that goes with being part of a big brand.
Bobby, if people want to find out more about you and your coaching and that, you know, how they can maybe um, get some help from you, where, where would be the best place to go? If they look on my website, www.bobferguson.co.uk, mm-hmm. then they can find details of what I do. The easiest way to get in touch is just to drop me an email and, and tell me what they're considering. And then we can have a, a cup of coffee, virtual cup of coffee nowadays. <laughs> Right. A virtual cup of coffee and just see if I can help them. Okay. And is there a book that you often recommend to people? Yeah. The book that I think, if you want to improve your speaking, taught me the most was World Class Speaking by Craig Valentine. Because hmm. he, he, um, didn't you have some coaching from Craig? Uh, yeah, I. I did the Certified World Class Speaker Coach course with Craig, which means you get uh, three months working with him. But before Mm. I did that, I uh, spent a month going through the book bit by bit and and writing my notes as I love love to do. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's called World Class Speaking, The Ultimate Guide to Presenting, Marketing and Profiting Like a Champion. Because he was a, a world champion speaker, wasn't he? He was. Uh, 1999, I think, Craig was world champion. Yeah, I remember I heard him um, when he came to the UK. And his, you mentioned before about the use of humour. He is superb in the yes. way he uses humour. Yeah. Him and Ed Tate, I think, were probably the two speakers. Uh, Ed Tate was also a, a world champion. Mm. Uh, they were the two speakers who convinced me more than anything that humour was an essential skill that I should work on to build. Mm. Um, but the, the book about world-class speaking is not only by Craig, it's also by a chap called Mitch Marson, who was mm. an expert in internet sales. Mm-hmm. And so between the pair of them, what they've come up with is a, a book that gives you loads of information about improving your speaking, but mm. also talks about the realities of having to make a speaking business and how you use the internet for people to contact you and what should be on your web pages and how you contact people and all the rest of it. Mm. Uh, so I find it it's a really good book because, A, it will help you improve your speaking enormously, but, B, if you do start to consider whether there's a career in this for you, you've got mm. lots of information there that will help you understand what's necessary before you take the step. Mm. And, and finally, Bob, um, what do you have a, a quotation that you particularly like? Do I have a quotation I particularly like? I, I do have lots of quotations, but I think, you know, one of the things you'll find is that as you go around and this is a Craig Valentine quotation, mm-hmm. that there will always be people who don't value what you do for some reason. Mm-hmm. You'll be too slick, too rough, too funny, too unfunny, whatever it is, mm-hmm. there'll be people in your audience who don't like what you do. Yeah. And and the phrase that Craig uses that helps people get over that is that wherever you go, you'll be too something for somebody. Mm. Just be too good for it to matter. That's superb, isn't it? It is. I think it's brilliant. And it, I can tell you as a speaker, if you 
wow an audience of 100 people and you look at the feedback and there's 99 great bits of feedback and one that says, you were pants, I didn't like you, guess which one people go home thinking about, the speaker <laughs> goes home thinking about. Exactly. And, yeah. and this is a great phrase to just let you understand you won't hit everyone spot on every time, but if you're good, that won't matter. And, and actually, it applies to so much more. It applies to life in general, not just speaking. Yeah, it speaking. does. Yeah, no, you're you know? right. Because there's so many authors will, will focus so much on that one bad review they get and they ignore yeah. all the other great reviews and in every other walk of life as well. I think the reason it's valuable is because Craig worked his way through to become a world champion and then he realised the step up he had to make to be a good platform and keynote speaker and he's had all these setbacks and he knows what it takes to get over them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Bob, I really appreciate appreciate your time. It's been um it's been been fantastic and hopefully um you know everyone listening will, will realize just the value they can get from joining some an organization like Toastmasters International or the PSA or or various other speaking organizations. Yeah, uh, there is great value and apart from anything else this can be a lonely business. So belonging to something like the PSA or Toastmasters gives you a family to belong to and people that you can go along and chat to about any issues you've got in what you're doing. And it's actually, you just remind me, a point that we completely glossed out or didn't didn't touch upon, and that's down to me, is that the mentorship value that you get from from the organisations as well. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know, the PSA might have a formal system, I'm sure there's mentorship available, they certainly have mastermind groups of people who get together, but Toastmasters definitely has a formal mentorship scheme where if you go in there, you can watch all the other speakers perform and you can think, oh, you know, I'd like some coaching from this person because they have a style that I enjoy and think that would be useful for me and then they will be assigned as a mentor for you and I have mentees and we get in touch on a regular basis and I help them develop their speeches so yeah it it has a very well built in mentoring scheme well Bob thank you for your time it's been it's been fantastic thank you it's a pleasure Tony nice to speak to you again Next week is episode 17, and I'll be speaking with Duncan Baskerin Brown, who is an award winning speaker, an author, and a Morris dancer. He's helped hundreds of people across the world to get over indulgence and to wake up to a better tomorrow. He's spoken at many events in for quite a few different sectors from healthcare, local government, emergency services, and world class universities. And he helps people get free from the unruly urges, whether that be food, drink, drugs, social media, Netflix, whatever. So that's next week's episode with Duncan Baskerin Brown. If you know anyone who would, you think would really get some value from some of the uh, some of the wisdom that was shared by Bob Ferguson, please do share the episode with them. Um, go online, leave a review for us. That's really helpful. It gets more people to to find out about the podcast, and maybe subscribe while you're there so you get. Um, an edition or you get the latest edition every week when it's published on Tuesday lunchtimes. Hope you did enjoy this week's show and hope you have a great week. See you next week.